Well, good evening, everyone. Um, so we've been exploring vineyard values over the last little while, and um, the values are one of the things that really drew me to the vineyard in the first place, particularly the emphasis on healing. And so that's what I want to share with you tonight. I loved when I read um, that never trust a leader without a limp. And I thought that was so profound because our pain is never wasted. We try to hide from it. We try to deny it. We try to put you know, our, our pretty face forward and pretend that we're not hurting. But our pain is never wasted. And there's wisdom that can be gathered from the experiences that we have been through. And it helps us to walk with vulnerability, to discover the capacity to say, I'm sorry, and to make amends. And it allows us to be gently restored, led into um, compassion. And it helps us to avoid needing the limelight to fulfill some broken place within us. And so um, I'm really excited to be sharing about healing with you. Not only is it something that I'm engaged with as far as my job, but it's also something that I've engaged with in my own life. And I want to share some stories with you tonight. Some of them are my own, and some of them are some familiar characters that you may have read about in scripture. But I'm sharing them purely to illustrate why we need healing and, why, um, and, and what some of the effects of our wounds have on how we live out our lives. So my own need for healing began when I was about four years old. And that was the first time that I was sexually abused. And over the next 13 years, four other people um, abused me. And so it really shaped how I saw myself. And I experienced people using their power against me. I experienced bullying and humiliation, rejection, shame, and as well as deep, deep betrayal at like soul level and broken trust. And I didn't have the tools. I didn't understand, you know, as a, as a four-year-old, a, a young teenager, um, how, to, how to work with these wounds. And so I tried to cope. I tried to cover. I tried to do all the things that we do when we don't want to feel pain. I started people-pleasing and compromising my values to try to earn acceptance because I didn't want to feel that pain. I thought if I could just be perfect, then maybe I wouldn't hurt. I became a perfectionist. I blamed myself, and I turned my pain and my hatred inwards. I developed a very serious eating disorder, and I was really scared to let people close to me. I was scared to let them see who was behind the mask that I put on as a, as a form of protection and defense. I hid behind got it all together girl. I was terrified that people would see what a mess I was. I was terrified that they would see me and think that I was irrevocably broken. No one knew how in need of healing I was. And that included myself because I was so deep in hiding. All of us need healing. All of us have experienced pain, anxiety, um, loss, disappointment, 
whatever, whatever roots might come in that chip away at our sense of being whole. And um, I want us to look today at, and go back to the beginning, right to the beginning, at the point where our health was taken and where our struggle began. So I want to go right back to Genesis. In Genesis 1.27, it said that God created human beings in his own image. In his own image, he created them, male and female. In Genesis 2, verse 7, scripture describes God forming Adam from the dust, and he breathed his breath of life into him. And Genesis 2 gives us the context of the world that God created for us. It says, Then the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may eat freely of this fruit, eat freely. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now, this is an interesting passage because this is where the first boundary was put in place. Now, boundaries keep the good stuff in and the bad stuff out. And this is before the fall. This is when everything was perfect and good. So boundaries are good. Boundaries keep us safe. In my own journey, so much of the pain that I've had to work through is linked to poor boundaries. Either people violating and not respecting my boundaries, or me, my own failure to set or respect boundaries. So God put them there to show us that they're good. Then if we look at verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the very first thing that God mentions that was not good is isolation. We are created for community. We are meant to walk things out together. And um, isolation was declared not good. One of the scariest places for me was feeling alone, like there was no one I could turn to. When I was stuck in the secrecy and the shame and the silence of what was happening and being done to me, that isolation was like a prison. And it is one of the most destructive influences of the enemy, making you feel like you are alone. Now, the man and the woman were both naked, but they felt no shame. So I think this is really interesting because the vulnerability of being truly seen was good. It was good, it was healthy. And their full selves were fully open. Physically and emotionally, they were exposed, and it was not shameful. We have distorted, and we have become afraid of vulnerability, of exposure, because of the way that our brokenness has played in. Um, and so, so much of our healing journey comes back to that place of coming out of the dark and into the light, which we'll see. So if we go on to chapter 3, it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals and the Lord, that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? So this is the first question in the Bible, and it was used to plant doubt about God and the freedom that we have been given. So Adam and Eve had full freedom. 
and everything was good, and they had trust, and they had safety, and they had connection with God. And the very first question was used to plant doubt. If we go on to verse 2, of course we may eat from the eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. So Eve was fully aware of God's boundary and the consequences. And until that point, she fully accepted it and she never questioned it. It goes on. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So until this moment, Adam and Eve had only known good things. They knew about unity, connection, acceptance, belonging, freedom, rest, wholeness, perfect health. And yet, she still surrendered to the temptation, and she surrendered to the lie that it would be better to know evil and all that comes with it. How often do we surrender to a temptation that we know is going to come? But we do it anyways. So the woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, there's three significant things that happened. One, their eyes were opened, and they discovered that it was not good. Number two, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They had always been naked, but now truth had been distorted, and it brought shame with it. And three, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They felt compelled to hide. And that's what we have been doing ever since. When we're flooded with shame, our instinct is to hide and to cover. Carrying on, when the, Lord, when the cool evening breeze were, were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now, this is the first question asked by God. And it's not that God didn't know where Adam was, but he was giving Adam an opportunity to come forward, to tell his story, to explain what was happening, to reveal himself and confess. And this is the first model of healing that we have been given, to come out of hiding and to tell our story. But for so many of us, just like Adam, we stay stuck in our silence. Then he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Fear had entered the world. And fear is the opposite of love. And love cannot and fear cannot coexist together. So no, Adam no longer rested secure in the safe love of the father. But now fear had come in and his understanding of love had been distorted. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Once again, God gave Adam an opportunity to take responsibility and accountability. But instead, he turned to blame. 
In verse 12, the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. So he not only blamed the woman, but he blamed God for giving him the woman, which led to his failure. So how often do we start blaming God when things don't go well for us? We'd, instead of taking ownership and responsibility, we blame shift, and we want to put that blame on someone else. We want to put that blame on God. Where were you? You didn't protect me. Then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? So Eve was also given a chance to tell her story. The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. So Eve also avoided taking responsibility and blamed the serpent. Yes, it's true that the serpent deceived her, but she was responsible for her choices in falling into and following through with the temptation. God responded. He then responds by clearly laying out the consequences um, for the serpent, for the man, and for the woman. So now they would no longer live in the fullness of all that was good in the garden that God had created. They would experience pain. They would experience disconnect. They would experience struggle. And yet, God still provided for them in their brokenness. Because in verse 21, it says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife because they could no longer cope with being exposed. And so he made skins to cover them, uh, clothes to cover them. So he followed through on the consequences. They were banished from the garden. And everything that they had known up until that point, it's as if the life, there was the life before and life after. And now Adam and Eve had to live fully in the reality of their very poor trade-off. And so now we find ourselves part of this narrative, part of living in a world with very real consequences, um, where evil resides, where struggle is a reality, and our perfect and physical, mental, and spiritual health has been broken. So all of us are in need of healing. So the answer to the question of why we struggle and are in need of healing is found in the consequences and the experiences of breaking God's boundary. And the, there's four things that I want to highlight that are part of that consequence. And that's shame, hiding, fear, and blame. So the first thing that Adam and Eve experienced was shame. And it is a universal feeling that we have all experienced. And it's the belief that I am bad. And because I'm bad, and I, I am now unworthy of love and belonging. And it's different from guilt, which is I did something bad. Sometimes guilt can be really he healthy in the sense that it's that niggle that, ooh, what you did there, that wasn't right. It has more to do with behavior. Shame has to do with your identity, who I am and how I see myself. So to cope with shame, sometimes what happens is people become boundaryless. And so they hide behind people-pleasing, trying to do what they think will help them to feel acceptable. And um, sometimes it means powering up. I can't acknowledge my shame, so I'm going to dominate and using aggression to, as a weapon to try to cope with shame. And sometimes the fear of being perceived as unworthy or being rejected pushes us into silence 
And so, like Adam, instead of coming forward and telling our stories, we withdraw and we isolate, and then we suffer. And then we become secretive. And we become secretive in an attempt to try to minimize our shame. And it's in these dark and secret places where I felt trapped, where I didn't know how to tell people what was going on. And instead of being able to step forward into freedom and find healing, I ended up staying trapped in shame. Brene Brown, a shame researcher, writes that shame needs three things to grow, silence, secrecy, and judgment. And because of our fear of being known and for these things being exposed, oftentimes shame is the root of a lot of the other problems that we find in our life, like addiction, um, violence and aggression, eating disorders, bullying, depression, oftentimes can be rooted back into those places of shame. And the problem with shame is the less we talk about it, the more control it has over us. We've got to work harder and harder and harder to keep our shame hidden. And that's why the first thing that God did was not to pronounce a curse on Adam and Eve for what they did, but offer Adam and Eve a chance to tell their story. He offered them a chance to address their shame. So to combat shame, we have to move towards empathy and compassion. And when we tell our story to somebody and they respond with empathy rather than judgment, it's amazing the healing that can happen. And it's like a fire extinguisher on shame. And it allows us to have self-compassion. If we can learn to have compassion for ourselves in our places of shame, then we're more likely to be able to extend compassion to somebody else. And slowly but surely, we can become a healing community where we walk with limps, where our point of shame is not our ending, but it can actually be our place of rising. So shame is a social concept. It happens in relationship, and it also heals in relationship. So the other thing that Adam and Eve did was they, as a consequence of their shame, is they, they hid. They hid from God. So these two things are closely connected, and it conceals and prevents us from being seen and discovered or exposed. But it leads to isolation, anxiety, loneliness. Sometimes it leads to judgment, hard-heartedness, or stubbornness. We were not created to be alone. Remember, that's the first thing that was declared not good. So we have been created for community and connection. Because in community, that's where we find acceptance. That's where we find belonging. That's where we find compassion and empathy for healing. So when we're hiding, we're stuck in our own judgment. And we often project that judgment onto other people. So as a counselor and as a therapist, oftentimes I've had people say to me after they have um, shared their stories, what a relief it was to be able to tell their story, that they were convinced that I was going to judge them. And when I didn't, it was just such a powerful moment for them. And guaranteed, like almost 100% of the time, they will say, I wish I hadn't waited so long. Um, but on the flip side, I've also had people get angry with me because, and judge me very harshly um, because in their hiding, they had told themselves a story that I don't care about them. 
that nobody cares about them. My friends don't care about me, my pastors don't care about me, my family doesn't care about me. But the thing is, people don't know what isn't known. And people can't help where they're not allowed in. So we judge people for not reaching out and finding us in our places of hiding, but they don't know where we are. Not knowing and not caring are two very, very different things. In 1 John 1 verse 7, it says, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we have such a desire to belong because we have been wired for connection. We need to feel that sense of connection. We were created by a community God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we were meant to find our healing and our belonging with each other. So we need belonging in order to come out of hiding. But often what keeps us trapped in hiding is the next thing, which is fear. Fear is closely related to shame because it's that we, we are afraid of the threat of danger or pain or harm. So Adam and Eve were afraid of confronting God with the truth of what they did. So their emotional fear directly impacted on their behavior. So much of what we do and say and how we act is a result of our fear. So we talk about things like fight or flight and flee. Our stress responses are a direct response to our experience of fear or threat. And the way that this plays out in our lives inevitably leads us into greater places of disconnect. So let's take a church setting, for, for example. Um, when a person feels threatened and they go into flight mode, they might, or sorry, fight mode, they become aggressive, angry, and confrontational. And rather than listening, they start attacking. And this can lead to people around them pulling away from them because their behavior it becomes threatening to the person that they're trying to connect with. Fear can cause us to ask, act harshly and rashly and um, we can make harmful decisions as a response to our fear rather than um, that place of peace that comes when we come a step out of fear, step out of hiding, step out of shame, and come into the light. In flight mode, I might decide that I'm going to quit coming to church because someone disagreed with something that I said, and I'm scared of conflict, so I'd rather leave and avoid the pain than confronted directly. This can lead to isolation and unforgiveness and bitterness and loneliness and judgment because the issue never gets resolved. In freeze mode, the fear of conflict or being perceived as wrong can lead to paralyzing anxiety and confusion. We become silent, we shut down, and we start doubting our abilities. It affects our self-esteem. And for some people, they go into fawn mode, which is I'm becoming a compulsive approval seeker. I will do absolutely anything that you want so that you will like me. And we melt into the ideas of other people. But the problem is our yes isn't a yes. So we become deceitful. We become boundaryless. And then we become resentful and passive aggressive. So I'm sharing that to show how fear is a disconnector. Instead of bringing us together, it pulls us and keeps us apart. In order to find connection, we have to become aware of the role that fear is playing in our lives and allow that truth in love to push that fear away. 
1 John 4, 18 says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced perfect love. So when we understand God's perfect love for us, we can let go of our fear because his love will fill those spaces as we discover the safety of his love. The last thing I want to pick up on is blame. Both Adam and Eve fell into the trap of blame. Blame means placing responsibility of for fault and wrongdoing on another person. And this naturally will lead to relational harm. So when things go wrong, it has to be somebody else's fault. It can't be my fault. It's the serpent's fault. It's that woman you gave me. It's, you know, it's God's fault. We hate feeling out of, out of control. So if we can just put the blame on someone else, then I don't have to confront the pain and discomfort that I'm experiencing. I don't have to take responsibility for my actions because it's not my fault, it's yours. I'm just a victim. And blame hinders accountability. It keeps us from stepping into freedom. It keeps us from fully being in the light. And it hinders accountability, empathy, and open communication. People that are being blamed unfairly are left feeling angry, hurt, unfairly accused, misunderstood, and the person doing the blaming is often stuck in a victim mindset. So in order to restore our connections, we need to take ownership of, of our behavior and of our thoughts. If we can humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness when we need it, relationships can heal. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so, so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So God created us to be in relationship with him, and he created us to be in relationship with each other. But this perfect connection was broken. However, God's desire and his call to our restoration has never changed. In order for us to truly reconnect, we have to engage in a healing journey. It begins with starting to become self-aware to acknowledge the broken parts of us and to risk coming out of shame and hiding. When we fight our internal healing journey, we remain disconnected from God, from ourselves, and from each other. Matthew 22, 37 to 39 says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that can be a really uncomfortable statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we're not living in tune with ourselves, if we're not actively learning how to become honest and with our shame and our fear, coming out of hiding and blame and learning to be accountable, we're less able to connect with other people and it, and it hinders our ability to truly love. So we cannot see the image of God reflected in others when we deny our need for healing. Our fear of returning to that vulnerable and shameless place of being naked or fully known holds us back from loving our neighbor because we can't actually love ourselves. And so like Adam, we stay stuck in our hiding. The most loving and healthy thing we can do is risk the vulnerability of coming into the light, of being fully known, and telling our story. 
So my own healing journey began after hitting absolute rock bottom. I was so emotionally and physically sick from my eating disorder that I genuinely felt like I was dying. And I went on a youth camp, and on that camp, I heard God speak to me in an audible voice, and he simply said, I love you. I knew he knew me. He saw me in my place of hiding, in my place of shame, in my place of intense fear and disconnect. He saw me, and he called me towards him. He knew about my abuse. He knew about my self-hatred, my shame, my dysfunctional coping mechanisms. He knew what I was doing to myself, and yet he still chose to love me and chooses to love me. So I poured out my heart to him. That's what I told him my story. And I experienced his love, and it drew me in. The next thing I felt I needed to do was to tell someone. And once I told someone, and I didn't experience rejection or judgment, I could risk adding more people into my network of support. And that was think people like pastors or counselors or mentors, even family, close friends. I started to strengthen myself with the scriptures and I took scripture verses that spoke into my identity and I stuck them all over my room. I stuck them on the mirror. I stuck them next to my alarm clock. So the first thing that I saw in the morning was a truth about who I am. And I allowed those words to start speaking over the lies that I had believed. I worked towards forgiveness of myself and forgiveness of those who hurt me. And it brought a freedom and a lightness to me. It took away the shame and brought me into more honesty. And as I engaged in healing prayer and I allowed God into my life and into my pain, he revealed the lies that he wanted to heal, heal me from, as well as areas that needed to be confessed and brought into the light and things that needed to be broken. God has been gently healing me for decades. And he's done it powerfully. And he's also done it subtly. And it's always been safe within his timing. I feel the niggles sometimes, kind of like scar tissue, or if you've broken uh, broken your ankle and when it's cold outside, you can feel that like pain, you know? But it doesn't mean that I'm right back there in the, in the, in the open wound. It's just sometimes the reminder. And, and I can take it to God and he heals me a little bit more. We all need healing. It's normal. It's part of our journey. It's a grace and a joy to come into greater healing with God. He delights in our journey because ultimately it brings us into greater connection with him. And the closer to God that we get, the more whole we become. So I really want to invite each and every one of you, to, as we go into a time of worship, to just reflect. Reflect on the areas where you might find yourself bound in shame or fear or hiding or blame. Maybe there's a story that you've never had the courage to bring into the light and tell someone. I want to encourage you to bring it before God tonight. Bring it before God. Risk coming into that place of vulnerability where you can find the open arms of your Father who loves you, where your heart, your pain, your story is safe. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your desire to bring us into wholeness, your desire to restore us, your desire to use our limbs for your glory, that we can become wounded healers, that as we allow you to work in our hearts and we experience your compassion, we're able to extend that compassion to others. May we be a community that embraces our vulnerabilities, embraces our brokenness, and gives space and freedom for healing, for growth, for restoration. I pray that you will just remove those bonds of shame that keep us shackled, that keep us in those dark places of hiding where we fear fear you, where we fear being known, and it's just too easy to put the blame on some, someone else or something else. Help us to be honest before you. I pray for your freedom to just be released in this place tonight as we step into and risk stepping into a healing journey with you. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love, and your healing power.